0: Hello, and welcome to Fangraphs Audio, episode 957. On this week's show, David Lorla is joined by Dan Dickerson, radio voice of the Detroit Tigers who joined us back in episode 892, as well as Don Gagne, longtime political correspondent for National Public Radio and major Tigers fan in his own right. Dan and Don have been friends for decades, and we get to hear a number of stories about how they both consumed as well as professionally covered baseball. We hear anecdotes about things like Mark Fidrich and the Summer of the Bird, Ernie Harwell and he was just the absolute best, following sports while traveling and meeting fans around the globe, and that faded day of Jim Joyce missing the call on Armando Galarraga's perfect game. Here's a guy who stood up, took all the blame, owned
1: it, And you're like, well, what else can you say? He owned it. I mean, how can you be mad at him anymore? I mean, he was clearly emotional about how he'd blown it and cost Galarraga a perfect game. So that just took all the steam out of my whatever anger I felt. And the next day, what Jim Leland did was one of the coolest things ever. I remember him telling me as we did the manager's show, he always get this twinkle in his eye when he wanted to tell you something that was like a a little secret. And he just looked at me after he did the manager's show and said, "Uh, hey, I'm going to have Galarraga take the lineup card out today.
0: But before we get to this baseball conversation among friends, I must issue my weekly reminder for you to visit the Fangraphs.com shop. Not only do we have our great merch so you can rock your favorite Fangraphs threads, but we of course offer our ad-free memberships, good for browsing the site at blazing fast speeds. It is also of course the best way to help us keep the lights on and do everything we do over at Fangraphs.com, and we couldn't do it without you. Thank you so much. Enjoy the show.
2: Hey, baseball fans! This is David Lorela. My guests are Dan Dickerson, radio voice of the Detroit Tigers, and Don Gagne, longtime political correspondent for National Public Radio. Gents, thanks for coming on to uh, Fangraphs Audio. Great to be here. What
3: what a, what a pleasure to be here and uh, to to talk baseball and not uh, <laughs> politics. <laughs> so thank you for that.
2: <laughs> no. Yeah exactly. You know Don you've been at NPR you know for more than 3 decades now you know on the political realm for a uh, a good chunk of that. Mm-hmm. But you you've been a baseball fan you know a Detroit Tigers fan for much longer than that. I grew up in the Detroit area. I grew
3: up in Monroe Michigan uh, about a half an hour south of Detroit and uh my earliest earliest memories are sitting in the dark uh around our kitchen or our back room table with my dad. Uh, listening to Ernie Hartwell call those games. I mean, how many people have a story just like that? I'm I'm one of them, and I probably started listening to the games and getting deeply into it uh, in 1965, 1966, somewhere in there. And I was uh, just just. Deeply on board and obsessed with the 1967 season where we just missed it on the last game of the year. And then obviously came 1968. And those guys are my heroes to this day.
2: Oh, you're showing your age here, (laughs) Don. Yeah. You and Dan uh, go way back, right?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. We go back to uh, my early days as a street reporter for WWJ in Detroit.
3: So Dan Dan and I, this is my recollection of it anyway, Dan and I met the first time at a George H.W. Bush for president uh, event in like the gymnasium or community center kind of space at Macomb County Community yeah. College in 1988. And I sus- it might've even been 1987, but it was the 88 election cycle. And uh, if, if I remember correctly, we were both kind of crawling around under the press riser <laughs> looking for the malt box to get our audio feed <laughs> and uh, kind of struck up a conversation. And I think we very quickly became fast friends.
1: Oh yeah, we figured it out pretty quickly. That uh you know how it is when you meet someone, David. Just like, oh yeah, this guy. <laughs> we shared so many interests and the same sense of humor and quirky sense of humor. And uh, it was the fall of '88 because I was hired uh, by WWJ. Lori and I had just gotten married, and so in September, so I started part time that fall at WWJ All News Radio and uh, just covering whatever. And yeah, that was. First time we met and it turned out that we lived in Royal Oak about uh, two blocks from each other.
3: And, and we can we can kind of mark when we met by our respective marriages, because I got married in 87, uh, you guys in 88, and we were not at each other's weddings. We didn't know each other yet. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes like, that kind of astounds me? me that we weren't at each other's <laughs> weddings. But,
2: uh... <laughs> yeah, with covering uh, whatever in mind, Dan, which of you has the cooler job? Is it you or is it actually Don?
1: Oh, me by far. <laughs> <laughs> now, I grew up. Understand that I grew up in a. Uh, my dad taught political science for a long time. He worked in the Reagan administration in the Defense Department as an analyst. Uh, so I was just I brought up, you know, loving current events and trying to understand current events and trying to solve the problems of the world. I mean, that's that's just how I was brought up. So I'm I, I love covering you know politics and current events, but in terms of where the day-to-day you know i was in news for a long time and i've always said a good day in news often involves something that's not great news for the people involved in the story a good news day in sports is your team won so uh the day-to-day joy of the job uh, is never ending even in a bad season i'll take a day at the ballpark any 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 time
3: and and i you know i i have a great job let's let's be clear and i work i work for a great news organization and i couldn't be more pleased with the path that my my career has taken it's exceeded uh uh many even of my wildest wildest dreams but i too would be uh quick to admit that dan has the cooler cooler job but you know we 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 have uh, we have always you know talked politics and talked current events and talked history and talked uh music and literature and all those things uh in addition to to uh to talking baseball and i i think the things that our jobs do really have in common is you know we are we are both journalists to our core and dan tells us the story of a baseball season in 162 game increments uh, bringing us well even even more than that if you start with spring training Uh, so he's he's telling us this long story with many smaller stories you know within that and i like to think i'm doing kind of the same thing about an election cycle and you know the primaries are maybe the preseason and uh, or, or you know or the early playoffs and you've got characters and you have people who have good days and bad days sometimes they have really bad days and you can see someone who is just a gifted natural at it as you know um i you know i, I don't think this is a political statement at all as as someone like Barack Obama was, who was just particularly skilled and just a phenom at, at, you know, coming out of nowhere and rising to the top of his profession. At the same time, someone like George W. Bush, who I also covered, had a very different set of, of political skills that he used to great uh, you know to great effect, to kind of being that guy who won the presidency by being the person who was very kind of relatable to a lot of people and again i 'm setting all policy and all decisions they made in the office aside here, but you are watching these these characters in the same way I think that you know that that, that Dan is watching uh, a, a, a prospect coming up from. Triple A for the first time, or someone like Miguel Cabrera or Albert Pujols, who has had this long career, but they're still there, still doing it, you know, and relying on maybe different, different skills. So, so I do see similarities uh, in, in in the broad outlines of what we do.
2: Well, Don, you mentioned uh, in your answer there, uh, Phenom, and you mentioned character. You have done baseball features on NPR over the years. One from 2009, which I believe includes Dan in the clip, was on the death of Mark Fedrich I did.
3: That story came out of the blue, and I was at NPR headquarters. I wasn't on the road that week, and... The 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 news moved on the wires, and I just remember how saddened I was by it. And this is, you know, so long after Fidrich's heyday in 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 the mid '70s. Uh, and I, I I needed to share it with somebody. And there's an editor at NPR who is from Detroit. And I kind of wandered over to his desk and said, "Did you see this news?" And he and he hadn't. And I and I filled him in. And we kind of had this discussion with him and a couple of other editors that, you know, uh, we really should do something on the passing of Mark Fidrich on All Things Considered tonight. And uh, it was also clear that if anybody was going to do it. It was, uh, at that time I was a White House correspondent. (laughs) It was gonna be White House correspondent Don Gagne who was gonna (laughs) tell this story. And I was good with that. It was like, we need to tell this story. So I wrote something and as I was writing it, I thought I really need another voice in here. So I called Dan and we did did an interview just with, with both of us reminiscing about that summer of 1976, the summer of the bird and we turned it into what I think is a really nice radio piece that fit perfectly in the middle of uh, an afternoon news program that that we at NPR call All Things Considered. It was just one of those little moments that touched on the sad news, but I think also reminded people about something
2: very special uh, in the sport. Yeah, Dan, uh, you were a teenager, I
1: believe, in 1976. Uh, what do you remember about that summer and the bird? Oh, unbelievable. We'll never see another one like it. We'll just never see another one like it. I remember watching his first start in, uh, when he came up. I want to say it was April, and, yeah, there had been some notice in 75 that there was this kid in the minor leagues who was kind of quirky and might help the Tigers in 76. But there was about 15,000 at that game at Tiger Stadium. So there was certainly some interest, but and right away, of course, I mean, you look at his start by start that year, it's ridiculous how consistent, how good he was. He made four 11-inning starts, by the way, four starts that went at least 11 innings, and he averaged nine innings to start, 24 complete games out of 29 starts. So I remember watching that first game with Dad in our uh, living room in Birmingham, and then Just kind of following, but to see it build as quickly as it did was just incredible. That by June, I think every single home start drew thirty-five thousand, then forty thousand, and then full houses. And that Yankee game on Monday Night Baseball, which uh, packed the ballpark, is the one that just you know. And I remember being in you know at our over on the west side of the state and. It's just there weren't many games on TV, but you sure either listened or you knew what happened that night. And think of it, how did you get your scores? Well, if you didn't listen to the game, you had to (laughs) turn on the 11 o'clock news or (laughs) there wasn't social media to, to get the instant results. So, but it just, I've never seen anything like it. And watching some of those replays that they played during 2020, especially of his great games, you realize why he just captivated. Tiger fans, and he was the same way when I met him in Boston uh, you know in probably two thousand three or four, one of my first years. And he was the same way, just genuine, kind of goofy, very just a good person, and all of that added up to, into one of the most amazing summers to for fans to come out and see one individual player i mean I think the about the only comparable player is Fernando Valenzuela just a few years later in terms of guys who would bring people to the ballpark 30,000 above what the normal attendance might be for the game and I'm not sure we'll ever see that again in our lifetime.
3: And even guys like uh, like Mike Trout or like uh, Otani and and some of the other great players of today and these are great great players and they do bring people out to the ballpark to see them but you have to kind of remind yourself that even, even what we're seeing now with these, these you know, kind of greatest players of all time that are playing today, it's nothing like when bird <laughs> was filling every single ballpark he went to pitch in. It was crazy. Oh,
1: yeah. Teams were so disappointed when he wasn't scheduled to pitch on the road in their ballpark. <laughs> they would call and then just say, hey, is he starting? I mean, it, because you're right, it, it bumped attendance in other ballparks, not by just a few thousand, by tens of thousands.
3: Yeah. And I had a few encounters with him in the early 2000s as well at, you know, at at a book signing. I remember at one point he came out with a, a Mark Bidrich coloring coloring book. book. Exactly. <laughs> and I saw him somewhere I think I've got that was, downstairs. <laughs> and, and he was just he it's like he was so honored that you remembered. And he was he was <laughs> happy to pose for a quick picture in, in the era before selfies, you know. And, <laughs> yeah, I was struck by just how genuine he seemed. And, you know, all those years later, if you're still like that with people,
2: you're not, yeah. faking,
3: you're not faking it. It's, no, it's, yeah, it's, it's got to just be who you are.
2: Yeah. Coloring books in mind. Uh, I think a lot <laughs> of Tigers fans saw red when uh, Armando Galarraga did not get a perfect game. You have a story about that, I believe Don.
3: I so this was in uh it was if my memory serves me it was in like 2010 because I think I was covering a midterm election and I was somewhere in Ohio cuz there were some senate races then and probably a gubernatorial race too and doing doing what I do driving around in my rental car looking for people to talk to and I clicked on the radio, uh, I probably at that point, I don't, th- I don't think we had the MLB app yet in 2010. So I think I was probably listening on XM radio in my rental car. This is even pre serious x m radio, probably right I don't know and and I found the tiger game, and it was immediately evident Dan was calling the game that something special was going on, so I pulled over in the middle of nowhere, Ohio, and sat by the side of the road and just listened to the final three innings of that game and it it is it is oddly one of those it's like. Do you remember where you were when? And I remember all of those circumstances around that Particular game, and and I don't remember feeling outrage at the end of the game because I couldn't see it. Uh, but I was listening. I was listening to Dan's call. I was listening to to the game. I remember thinking something was horribly wrong. But there's something about <laughs> really seeing that replay because uh, uh, you can't imagine an ump would get it that wrong, even even if Dan was telling me he got it that wrong. But that's, yeah, that's, that's one of those moments that's almost as vivid as sitting around the, the kitchen table, listening to games with my dad as a kid. And it, and it does kind of get to the power of baseball and the power of baseball on the radio, kind of grabbing you wherever you are, whatever you're doing, even if it's covering some damn midterm election in, in the, <laughs> the middle of
1: Ohio.
2: Yeah, Dan, what do you remember about making that call and then seeing the replay down on your monitor?
1: No, i haven't i don't remember uh, i'm pretty good at bang bang plays at first in terms of whether I, I think the guy was safe or out and whether the call was missed i really don't remember what i said it, i think i said got him and then you know something along the lines of you know he got him and then it's like oh no he's you know he's safe and kind of being amazed at that i haven't listened back to the call i don't think ever <laughs> ever since i remember though once you saw the replay you're like oh my god and i was getting pretty critical of Jim Joyce, who's only one of the best umpires in the entire game at that time and remains his reputation still as one of the best of all time. And so we're pretty cheesed off. And uh, he's been, you know, and remember Jim Leland came out and he was barking in Joyce's ear as they left the field. He was letting him have it. And so everybody's in kind of an uproar. And then, then Jim Joyce goes down below, watches the replay, Remember, this is before replay could overturn that. Replay was only used for very specific things. Home runs, I think, was basically it. And this, I think, definitely sped up the process of what else might be reviewable. But he went in, saw it, saw that he blew the call. And this is pretty rare. Our reporter, Jeff Rieger, went down, and other reporters did too, to talk to Jim Joyce and got sound of him almost in tears. He really was in tears choked up about how he blew the call and cost Galarraga the perfect game. Jeff Rieger, the reporter, brings that tape up. And we don't usually run tape in the post game from the clubhouse, but he had this tape of Jim Joyce. And so I'm all cheesed off, and then he gives me this tape, and we play, and I'm like, okay, everything's good. I'm fine. <laughs> Here's a guy who stood up, took all the blame, owned it, And you're like, well, what else can you say? He owned it. I mean, how can you be mad at him anymore? I mean, he was clearly emotional about how he'd blown it and cost Galarraga a perfect game. So that just took all the steam out of my whatever anger I felt. And the next day, what Jim Leland did was one of the coolest things ever. I remember him telling me as we did the manager's show, he always get this twinkle in his eye when he wanted to tell you something that was like a a little secret. And he just looked at me after he did the manager's show and said, "Uh, hey, I'm going to have Galarraga take the lineup card out today and sure enough he did and that just and jim joyce just about lost it he did lose it i mean he just lost it he was doing the plate that day at first base the night before he was doing home plate the next day and i thought that was one of the neatest things ever that that was jim leland's idea have galarraga take the card out and uh basically you know all's forgiven and all's well and let's move on with our lives
2: yeah don you know you of course were in a car in ohio Mm -hmm. for that game you travel the world for your job. You've been on location, of course. I, I don't know, Moscow, Beijing, Istanbul, wherever. I assume that you try to follow big sporting events from those locations. Absolutely, and you know
3: it's gotten easier in recent years because the the World Wide Web was called the World Wide Web for a reason. It's <laughs> it's everywhere. I mean, obviously, you get things that are blacked out in certain places. But I don't know what, what year did the did the Los Angeles Angels of Rally Monkey fame win the World Series? Was that two oh, thousand three.
1: three. Two or three. Yeah, I so this was is two. well
3: before was it was it oh two? Yeah. I mean, we <laughs> I was covering President Bush then and we were at some uh some Asia Pacific uh cooperation summit in down in down in Mexico and I, I remember uh, sitting in the press file, getting the folks in the TV pool to tune in the game for us so we could hear this great comeback that the Angels had uh, the last couple of games of, of that series, not to mention seeing the rally monkey up on the screen. <laughs> uh, I remember watching Michigan State, my alma mater, absolutely get their butts kicked in a Final Four championship game, a title game against UNC in, uh, I think that was probably something like 2009. And I was up at like three or four in the morning in Istanbul, again (laughs) imposing on the guys in the TV uh, transmission pool that was traveling with the White House to pull the game up on one of their monitors so I could see the, the title game. And sadly, with that one, I remember it took them about 10 minutes to get the feed going. And by the time they got it up, we were 10 minutes into the game and, and State was already down by something like 20 points uh, <laughs> <laughs> right off the bat. And they never really got any closer. Uh, but the yeah, these are, these are the lengths. To which you can go, but I can tell you the MLB app and uh, all of that has just made it much, 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 much easier to follow you know to follow Dan's call or any game you need to follow, uh, no matter where you are in the country or in the
1: world.
2: Yeah, Dan, do you have any stories that are at all similar, you know, for instance? you know, the Red Wings have been in the Stanley Cup finals and the Pistons in the NBA finals since you began doing Tiger games. So I assume you've been in the booth when some of those games were played.
1: Yes. Uh, So especially I think of usually it's when there's um, a no hitter going on elsewhere in Major League Baseball and I'll pull it up on my iPad and have it next to me. That's very dangerous, by the way uh <laughs> yep <laughs> <laughs> you really have to concentrate on making sure you're not calling the no-hitter when your team is you know trying to close out a 7-5 win <laughs> or is trying to rally in the late innings <laughs> that's probably the usual in terms of and i love playoff hockey the The red wings you know i haven't haven't made that deep run for a while now but you know, I'm a huge, I'm just a huge sports fan. So yes, if those teams are good, you know, we have Lions games on in the fall and, you know, it's on the back of the booth and because I, I like watching football and then uh, I can make bold predictions like, oh, don't worry, uh, they'll lose on a walk-off field goal. You know, it's it's a very bold prediction, but, you know, I, I amaze the interns like, wow, how did he know that? And so... There are definitely times when there are, uh, yes, other sporting events. on. Um, usually, though, I would say it's when there's a no-hitter in the eighth or usually the ninth inning. I'll, I'll put it on my iPad, and, again, that's the beauty of the MLB app uh, that you can you can do that and watch, and then you just have to be careful about which game you're calling.
2: Right, so you haven't missed a, a big call in a Tigers game because the Red Wings scored on the, on the, on the power play. No.
1: no, no. I will say one of the, you know, just thinking of Don listening in Istanbul, I do love hearing from fans, and you do hear from them all over the world. We've got a, a loyal Tiger fan in England who travels every year, and I should know this, I think it's to Norway uh, or Sweden. To, he's a ski instructor. So <laughs> he has taken pictures of you know where he's teaching or on the on the slopes in let's call it Norway and there's even like you know there's signs of you know uh, France you know 800 miles this way or and then there actually one year he he put up Michigan and Trumbull. Uh, sign for you know in, in this foreign country overseas and so we've gotten to really form a nice friendship he listens all the time he's got a long train ride to get to where he's going so he always listens but he'll get up in the morning and listen to replays of the game from the night before so I love hearing stuff like that but he literally listens on the slopes of of Norway where he's a ski instructor he became a Tigers fan because he had family in Windsor and he came over here as a kid and became a Tigers fan. I met him in Oakland one time, face to face. And um, that's the fun for me, is hearing from people who listen and they listen all over the country, all over the world, they're camping. I mean, that, that to me is the beauty of baseball on radio.
3: If I can just add, uh, I, I wear a Tiger hat everywhere no matter where I am on the planet. I've I've got a tiger hat. <laughs> and I've been in I've been in uh at a US military base in Kosovo, right? And I walk in with all my gear and I'm part of the part of the White House press pool and the president is there and he's you know he's shaking hands with people and somebody I'll hear somebody yell behind me Go Tigers! <laughs> <You know? laughs> and I'll have completely forgotten that I have this, you know, this this ball cap on with the old English D, <laughs> and it invariably uh, turns into a conversation, right? And there, there, there was one time. This, this was honest to God. This was uh, in on the Korean Peninsula. Bush, uh, George W. Bush, uh, was was going to some you know event um had a, had a leader meeting in in Seoul and when a US president goes to goes to South Korea they usually make a symbolic trip up to the demilitarized zone the DMZ that that uh, that 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 no man's land right? right that separates the north and south korea and we took we took choppers up there from Seoul up to a US base that's very close to the DMZ and again these are military choppers and you're kind of crammed in but from my seat i could see the back of the helmet of the of the pilot the guy the young guy who was flying the chopper right and he had stuck to the back of his helmet uh, a detroit red wings logo (laughs) so i said okay i don't know if i'm gonna get a chance to say hi to this guy because we land and usually have to run but uh, but sure enough we had we had like 5 minutes where we had to stand around and i made sure i introduced myself and told him i was from detroit and he couldn't have been more thrilled and we had this little conversation about the tigers and the red wings on on some uh, remote tarmac up near the dmz and those are the moments that you just live for and they're the moments that you're really glad that you're from a place like detroit because people are so passionate about their teams and um i don't know it's 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 hard to describe how cool that is when it happens
2: no absolutely you know the tigers have of course not gone to the world series you know given teams a lot to be excited about for a while you know their last appearance uh be 2012 right i believe don that you did not get a chance to attend either of the games at comerica that year
3: no, I, I had, I had a, I had a ticket. Uh, well, at first I wasn't planning on going to any of them because again, this was in a presidential year, and this is like the home stretch of a presidential year. So I'm in, I'm in Wisconsin, uh, obviously one of those perpetual battleground states. Watching, getting ready to watch Game Four, and I'm suddenly like really depressed that my team is in the World Series, and I'm not going to. I'm just like, you know, I'm watching it, but I'm not making any effort to get there and I I made a bunch of phone calls between deadlines over the course of that day and I got my hands on a ticket for game five so all I had to do was file my story the night of game four my story would run on Morning Edition the next day and I'm watching game four knowing I'm going to game five and i'm trying to also be locked in writing my story and get my story filed from my hotel room somewhere in somewhere in wisconsin and i filed my story just in time to watch the tigers get eliminated and all of my hopes and dreams of getting back to Detroit for game 5 <laughs> so i kind of like i was in, i remember being in a little bit of a fog the next day but i did have the campaign i had to pay attention to <laughs> so it was it was one of those you know i needed that kind of sad clown noise as, as...
2: <laughs> yeah let, let's not go into sadness here too much guys yeah, yeah we're, we're, we're starting <laughs> run low on time but i think we would be remiss if we don't talk a little about ernie harwell mm. i don't know which one of you wants to start with uh, with that well I'll, i'm gonna defer to you dan uh...
1: well, i was just when you were talking about where you were at certain moments i mean that just took me back to why i've always been hooked on baseball on the radio because i can remember distinct moments where i was in various mo- i mean whether it was the dave bergman 13 pitch at bat against Roy Lee Jackson in 1984. I remember right where I was. I was for some reason cleaning the garage of my rental place. I have no idea why, but I remember I was right there. Kirk Gibson had a walk-off in 1981. He was just kind of getting started in his major league career, and I remember exactly where I was for that one in Grand Rapids. So yeah, I mean, that it really was the soundtrack of me growing up and I I think I always think back to this moment in 2000, which reminded me why I always listened so much. Even during a 19-game losing streak in 1975, I remember listening to a lot of those games. When I talked to Ernie in 2000, my first year. So remember, I get this job. I've never done one inning of play, well, one inning the year before in the last game at Tiger Stadium. But in terms of actually broadcasting a baseball game professionally or otherwise, zero. And I get the job in 2000. And wondering how you do 162 games first of all, and then, would I even like baseball at the end of the end of the year? Would I be sick of it? And that team, you know, traded for Juan Gonzalez, new ballpark. They wanted to make a splash. Juan Gonzalez was a big, big deal to add to this team. Uh, they brought him to a ballpark that had, you know, cavernous gaps and was not a home run hitter's ballpark by any stretch. So that team starts nine and 23. And I remember asking Ernie, because I'm, I'm down. I mean, this is my team. I grew up watching the Tigers. This is my team. And they're 9-23. They're out of it. 32 games in, 130 to go. <laughs> and I remember asking him, how do you do games, I mean, when your team isn't very good? I mean, I should have known the answer, but I, just, I, I was just like, I was down. I'm like, Shit, this sucks. So we were in Minnesota. And uh, Ernie said, just remember, there's always somebody listening. Although I think that was challenged in 2003 as to whether there actually were people listening. Somebody's always listening. Give them a reason to listen to the game that day. You might see a great individual performance. You might see a great game between two bad teams. You might see something you've never seen before. And it was just very simple, right? That's very simple advice. But it was a great reminder to me why I loved listening on the radio and always did and always tracked my team. Because there's always something that comes up in a game and there's give them a reason to listen to the game that day. That was pretty great advice because that team then in the next few years had 96 losses, 106 losses. And then after he retired, 119 losses. I mean, every time you think they've hit a low, they went lower. But I don't remember 2003 being awful. I remember having a blast calling games. Uh, as as the you know for the first time the lead guy so he just and he reminded me i'm a stats guy i'm a numbers guy i love the number hey the numbers got me into baseball i love figuring out eras and batting averages when i was a kid and then ernie just always reminded me that you know it's a game of people and it's important to know the people behind the stats and know their stories and just watching him you understood why he sounded so good and so fresh at 82 when he retired in 02 and Because he would go around and talk to people every single day, our clubhouse, posing clubhouse. And that that was probably the thing I took away the most from him. I'm still a numbers guy, but always remembering the stories behind the numbers are are what really make the game interesting.
3: So uh, when when, when I was a kid listening to Tiger games, uh, I thought I thought every team had an Ernie Harwell. <laughs> I just thought, oh, this is what a baseball announcer sounds like, and uh, I knew he was pretty good, but I didn't know he was like the best. <laughs> <You know? laughs> With apologies to Vince Scully and uh, he was the best, and, and Red Barber. He was the he was just the best, and he was our guy. But it was as the years went by, I found out, and I realized, I came to realize how lucky we were. To have Ernie Harwell, and I did once. I started uh, working as, as a journalist, and always looking for an excuse to do some story other than other than politics uh, to to mix things up a little bit. I would I would have occasion over the years, whenever there was some Ernie Harwell related milestone, to pitch a story to NPR on 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 Ernie, and. I know I did one when uh, the Tigers, uh, the that day of infamy when they actually fired Ernie Harwell uh, during during the Tom Monaghan ownership era. So I did kind of a a farewell uh, to Ernie when when that happened. And then I did another story when the new owner, the Illiches, hired him back when they bought the team a couple years later. And then I did another story when he was retiring. And if my memory serves me, that season was threatened by uh, by either a strike or a work stoppage, I confess, or a lockout. I don't remember which it was, but I think it was a lockout. Uh, Dan can correct me if that's wrong. And it was possible that like August, was going to be Ernie's last game ever if the rest of the season got canceled. So I hustled up to Baltimore. I was living in D.C. at the time to go talk to him for one of these final games. And I always... Did uh, some variation on the same story about how great Ernie is as, a, as an announcer and what what a decent person he's he is, and how he's so locked onto the game, no matter how good or how bad the team is. He would he would say to me when I asked him, "How do you call games for such a lousy?" For a lousy team and he'd say the game is out there the game's out there you call it you tell people what's happening and you do it as best you can and and i really appreciated that as a journalist but the the other thing about ernie is no matter what story i did he would always i'd get a message on my phone a day or two later just telling him that, I, telling me, Ernie Ernie, in that voice, telling me, oh, you were too kind. Thank you for that beautiful story. <laughs> and <laughs> he, 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 he never didn't say thank you. And he yeah. was never uh, unappreciative. It was, I know I didn't know him like Dan did, but I'm really honored to have gotten to have not just listened to him, but to have spent a little bit of time with him here and there.
2: Yeah, let's actually close with a story from each of you or, or, an, or an anecdote in regard to the fact that you've been longtime friends. You know, Don, tell me about an interesting interaction that you've maybe had with Dan over the years. I, I, can, hear, I can hear the fear in Dan right now. <laughs> so I, I, I love to go back to the
3: early, early days of our friendship. So this was probably 1989 or something like that. And uh, again, Dan was not even doing sports yet. Right, he was—he was just a street reporter for uh, for W W J, and I say just—I mean that's a—that's a great job, but we all know it wasn't the job Dan was destined for. <laughs> but so Dan—Dan's doing news, and I'm doing news, and we're both covering Detroit, and we would go to the ballpark together and just get you know. $5 reserve seats at Old Tiger Stadium and, and sit there and watch the game and talk about life. Anyway, uh, my wife joined us. My wife, Lori, joined us for one of those games. And we meet Dan at the ballpark. And he comes walking up to us. And he's lugging this big, like a grade school suitcase, like grade school book bag. You know, one of those leather ones that opens at the top and it's got the handle. And it is full of baseball reference books. It's full of like all the Bill, Bill James books are in there and all the, you know, I mean, every, everything is in there. It's jam packed. And I've seen this before because I've been to the ballpark with Dan before. <laughs> it's, it's just what Dan does, right? Even if you're sitting in the reserve seats down the third base, down the first baseline. <laughs> and and uh, Laurie starts to kind of mock him. For, for, for lugging all of his all of his books from home to the ballpark. But lo and behold, about the second or third inning, Lori has a question about something that happened on the field <laughs> or about some player. Uh, Dan without skipping a beat, reaches into his book bag, pulls out a book, it's got the answer in it. He knew where to find it, and and it kind of you know, and and as Dan does, this won't shock anybody. It like it deepened our appreciation of the game in that moment. It just did, and now we had a connection with that player that she asked about because we knew something because Dan had it in that book bag that he hauled to the ballpark. And for me, that like that is who Dan Dickerson is, and that is why I just love the guy. And. Uh, and I've had decades of those kinds of experiences. <laughs> and my wife has not mocked you since. She may have found other things to mock you about. <laughs> but, but not about that.
2: <laughs> That's funny. Okay, Dan, you get the uh, last story before we close
1: out. Well, first, I, I, I remember, I mean, just thinking of going to games with Don. We had, by the time Tiger Stadium closed, we had... You know, we moved all around. It was always in the upper deck because that was oh, it was just an unbelievable spot to watch a game. But remember, Don, we, we finally figured out the best seats in the house were down the right field line, foul territory, upper deck, hugging the line. And because they'd taken out those seats below. So you were it was like a theater seat or an opera seating. You were hanging out over the field. Unbelievable seats. Someone was always in those seats, but we would get those seats and sit there. I just remember one time we were we were chatting away, <laughs> lost in our conversation. They're taking BP, and there's a ball that hits the seat either right in front or right in back of us. Couldn't have missed our heads by more than a few inches. <laughs> we were just oblivious to it the it batting practice. going <laughs> into the seat, as I recall. It was like, bang! <laughs> we're like, oh, I guess maybe we should pay a little more attention to this batting practice that's going on so i i do love those memories at tiger stadium the the thing that i i, I don't know i even uh, i asked Lori uh, for for quick and she and i thought of the exact same thing as you as your listeners are probably understanding don is an amazing storyteller and one of the first trips we ever took together with a couple of other couples way up into the keweenaw peninsula in in the upper peninsula to a lodge
3: bay harbor don right uh, Thunder Bay, Thunder, Thunder
1: Bay. Bay. It's one of the yeah. most amazing trips uh, we've ever taken because we went up seeing waterfalls all over the UP and it was a glorious weekend. And that whole summer was cloudy and rainy. Apparently every other weekend, other than the weekend we were up there. But there was this beautiful front porch of this hotel we were staying at or B&B and looking out over the lake. And <laughs> Don told a story about he and Lori went over to make a documentary film in France. <laughs> and I mean, they were just, I mean, I so admired them because, I mean, they're not documentary filmmakers, but they were going to make a documentary film. You probably still got that film somewhere. It's, it's, it's about 20 feet from me right now. <laughs> <laughs> so they had all kinds of issues, and I don't remember those specifics. But what I remember is Don holding court with about 10 people telling the stories of their days or just one particular day in en France and we were crying we were crying we were laughing so hard And at the end of the day it involved a bidet and uh, we don't have to go into more details than that but it, it was. oh my gosh don is the best storyteller he can set it up he can tell it he's got the you know the the dramatic pauses but all i can tell you is that We laugh a lot together, and that day stands out as the day that perhaps we laugh the most.
2: (laughs) (laughs) We're clearly still laughing here. (laughs) Yes, and and we are clearly well past time. Dan, Don, this has been uh, a great conversation. I'd like to thank both of you uh, for coming on as guests.
3: Thank you, Dave. This was a pleasure, Dave. We'll see you all at the ballpark, I hope.
2: That's the plan, guys. Hopefully with uh, the lockout ending soon. And to all the listeners, thanks as always for listening to Fangraphs Audio.
0: This has been Fangraphs Audio. Thank you to Dan Dickerson and Don Gagne for joining us, and thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the program, consider spreading the word and sharing it with a friend. It really helps us out. And don't forget to subscribe to the Fangraphs newsletter. It is the best way to keep up on all the things we have going on. Free to your inbox every weekday. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next week.